Hey, it's really good to see you. And uh, as we continue, or actually end today, the series. But first, a couple of things. One, all of you who are online right now, thank you so much for being with us, as well as those of you who are at our physical locations. And uh, last week, Ryan did such a great job in our series. Of course, he always does. And if you are inter- if you are at all curious where I was, uh, my youngest son, Caleb, got married. Here we are in the area of Jackson, Wyoming. And... Uh, and we had a, we had just a great great time, and so that was awesome. Next week we start a new series on the names of God, and names of every one of those names has a story attached to it. As people encountered God and found a, a, a unique aspect of His heart, and each week we'll be kind of going deeper and deeper in our knowledge of God and our understanding of His heart for us, and what we're going to find is that he is way better, way beyond what we could even imagine. And we'll get a taste of that. And those of you who know God will fall in love with him more. We'll be more confident in your relationship with him. And those of you who don't, you'll want to get to know him. And so it'll be, uh, I'm really looking forward to the series. We've been preparing it for a long time. But today we are, uh, this is the last week of Thank God It's Monday. And through the series, we've been dispelling a myth. And that myth is really popular among Christians when it comes to thinking about the workplace and jobs. And that is this, that, you know, the, the job itself that we have in the workplace, let's say you're in advertising or whatever you do, like the work itself really doesn't matter at all. Unless you work for a nonprofit or you work for a church, it, you know, it, it, you work for a secular organization, not a church organization or something like that, then the work doesn't matter. But how you work matters as a Christian because it's a platform to represent Jesus and to lead other people to know Jesus. And so it's important for that, but the work itself doesn't matter. And if that sounds weird to you, um, maybe you're new to Christianity or not, and that sounds kind of weird, it should. Because it's a bad idea. It's bad theology. It's bad. It's not reality. And hopefully by now, we've dispelled that myth that our work itself, whatever we do, matters to God as part of the creation mandate, helping life flourish on this planet. And we're told to do our work as under the Lord because he's our ultimate boss and for his glory. And so our work itself matters. But it is also true that work is a platform to be a light wherever God has placed us. Because God, the Bible teaches multiple places where we are is not random, but it's where God has placed us on purpose to be a Light, to help other people in their spiritual journey, to help other people perhaps come to know Jesus. And it is a, a platform to share our faith, because if you think about it, almost all of us who've come to know Jesus came to know Jesus in part, in large part, because of another person who shared their story, who invited us, who prayed for us. Something happened, right? They, they were involved. That's the way typically we come to know Jesus is through another person. And most people develop friendships either at school, if you're a student, or at work, because that's where we spend most of our waking hours. And so, therefore, it is a really important platform to help others in their spiritual journey and share our faith. And we're going to be talking about that. But when we talk about sharing our faith, it may make you a little bit nervous because it's kind of for a good reason. Like, it's easy to make mistakes. It's easy to 
go to some extreme, like one extreme is to go too far. And you probably know Christians in the workplace that have gone too far and are pushy and go through past boundaries and make people uncomfortable trying to pin people down spiritually. And, and it's just not appropriate. And you're like, man, I don't want to do that. Like uh, I have a, a friend in Boston who's a, a pastor there and he alluded to a Boston Globe article uh, written by a Jewish lady who said this about a Christian coworker who was a little bit overzealous. Said this in a, this was in a, in the Boston Globe article. He's the nicest person in the world, but has the unfortunate habit of using the workplace as a recruiting center. When he approached me to discuss religion, I mentioned that I was Jewish. Big mistake. His face lit up and I came to find out that converting Jews was his personal mission. I couldn't get up without finding a religious tract on my desk when I came back. After many attempts at conversion, I finally convinced him I was happy with my religion and nothing he said would change it. He reluctantly moved on and now tries his hand with our clients. And she titled the article, Keep the Faith, but Keep it on Your Side of the Cubicle. We don't want to be that guy, right? But it can be awkward. Like, what does it mean? And it can be so nerve-wracking that it's easy to go to the other extreme and just act like, The most important part of our life isn't a part of our life. That we, if you're familiar with a parable that Jesus told about putting your light under a bushel or an analogy that he used, that we just hide our light. That, man, we don't want to make waves in the workplace. And so we just don't, we're not going to be vocal about our faith. We're not going to share our faith. We're not going to do anything like that because we don't want to offend people. We don't want to be like this person. And if you think about that, that's also a problem. Because if, if what we believe is really the good news, that's what the word gospel means. If it really is good news, and of course it is, it's the best news ever, that God made a way for us to know him, for our sins to be, guilt of our sins to be removed, for us not only to be forgiven, but also to have a relationship with God that lasts forever where he transforms our life and use us, uses us to transform this world. Well, there's not better news than that. And it would be discompassionate not to share that. Like, how can we hide that from people? The best news ever But we're not going to let you know about it. That'd be terrible. And actually, we're commanded to share it. So how do we get this right? It's kind of like the Goldilocks thing. You know, the porridge that's one that's too cold, one that's too hot, and one that's just right. Well, how do we get this just right? And and we're going to talk about that because the New Testament talks a lot about this. And is super helpful, super practical. There's actually a lot of passages I could have gone to. We're just going to look at two um, that... Uh, where Christians, as, as Christians, we're in, in around those who are not Christians. How do we do this? And before I jump into the passages, just to summarize all of the passages, sort of the whole tenor of the New Testament and what Jesus modeled um, is to create. And this, and I'm borrowing this from a friend of mine here at Chase Oaks, a fellow leader named Mike Hogan, who is an executive in a company and who re, and who does this really well, represents Jesus so well in his workplace, and he's also on our strategic team. We don't pay him. Uh, which probably couldn't afford him, but we, uh, we don't pay him. He volunteers his time. He's done this for decades. He's one of the unsung heroes at Chase Oaks who has served uh, with our executive team. We have a strategic team with a couple people like that who are just great strategic thinkers. And he's, he's really been an amazing part of the Chase Oaks story. But one of the things Mike talks about, and I really appreciate how he represents Jesus in the workplace so well, but he describes it as creating pull, not push. Because push creates the opposite of what we want to create. Like when you are pushy, it creates recoil, right? 
And, uh, and we all know Christians like the one we just heard about who well-meaning, but if Christians are pushy, like if we just, and a lot of times Christians and culture are that way where if it looks like we're fighting for our rights and we're going to shout our thing and we're going to, if we shut down other people, well, obviously people are going to be offended by that. Or if we just push past boundaries and make people uncomfortable and talk when they don't really want to hear and we don't listen and we're not humble and like that, that doesn't work. Like if you came with somebody today, I want, or if you're at home, I want you to do something. Now, if you're not, if you don't know the person next to you, do not do this. But if you do know the person next to you, all I want you to do is just, just start pushing them. Just little pushes. Not, I don't, don't push them off the chair. Just little pushes. Okay. Now stop it because nobody likes that, right? There's just something in all of us like, stop it. You know, so I don't, you know, I don't like you pushing me. I don't, you know, delete, keep your hands. And same way with spiritual conversations, right? Push does not work. What does work is creating pull. And that's what Jesus modeled masterfully. And that's what the New Testament teaches us to do. Meaning through the quality of our lives, through the quality of our work, to create a sense of curiosity, to create a sense of, of, of pull, to create a sense of Man, why are you the way you are? Why are you loving me this way? Like, why do you sacrifice like that? Like, why do you work like that? Why, you know, what, what makes you tick? Or to be the kind of people that they're going to come to when their world turns upside down. That's what we want to do. And, and the New Testament really helps us out. And would it be cool to look back, how, however you relate to people who don't know Jesus. This certainly applies to the workplace, but at school, in your neighborhood, at your golf club, where it, it, you name it, wherever it is. Wouldn't it be cool to be able to look back at the end of our lives and think of, be able to think of one or two or ten people that know Jesus in large part because of you? Wouldn't that be cool? And that's what God invites us into. So what could that look like? Well, the first passage we're going to look at is in 1 Thessalonians. Paul talking to these Christians in a very non-Christian area in Thessalonica. And uh, in and he, he's talking about the workplace. And here's what he says. And he starts out so strong. Like, this is so cool. Make it your ambition to lead. Now, for those of us who are leaders, or even if you're not a leader, if you're goal-oriented, ambition is not a bad thing. By the way, it can go bad, but ambition itself, goal-oriented, is not a bad thing. That's a good thing. God is ambitious. He has goals. So if you're a leader and you're goal-oriented, this is like a great start. Make it your ambition to lead. It's like, all right, let's do it. That's a good, strong deal. You know, put me in, coach. You point me out. Whatever you want me to do, whatever goal, whatever you want me to lead, I'm in. But then it's so deflating what comes next. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Like, what? That's the most unambitious thing anybody's ever said. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. What does that mean? And, he, and it, it gets worse. Make it your own ambition to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business. Like what? And to work with your hands, just as we told you, so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders and so that you will not be dependent on anyone. So what he's saying, look, if you want to win the respect of outsiders, if you want to create a sense of pull, a sense of curiosity that will open up spiritual conversation, that will open up opportunity to impact people spiritually, then here's what you do. Make it your ambition, because this is not natural. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and to do your work well and to just do your thing and with your daily life so quality that it wins the respect of people. Quality of work and quality of life. 
And let's talk about both that creates a sense of pull. First, quality of work. We've already seen in this series how important it is to do our work well because of the bigger mandate we have, like one passage in Colossians that says, do your work well as unto the Lord, because he's our boss, ultimately. And therefore, we do our work, not just for our human boss. Your human boss may be good. They may be terrible. doesn't matter, because ultimately, God is our boss. And in Colossians, it says he will reward us. Even if our boss doesn't, even if our company doesn't, right? We do our work for a bigger purpose. And so we do our, we're to do our work well. Well, when we do that, especially in a time like this, right? It's really a powerful thing to think, man, why are you like that? Why are you so joyful at work? Why are you so, you know, committed in the workplace? Like it really should be that when a hiring manager finds out because you can't ask about people's, you can't hire people based on their faith and all that. But if you, if they find out after they hire, you, let's say you, as if you're a Jesus follower, if you're a Christian, that they, when they find out you're a Christian, they feel like they just won the lottery by hiring you. And it, I mean, you can imagine them going out to lunch with another manager that day. They find out and say, hey, you know that role we were trying to fill? We, we found somebody, we hired somebody. And you know what I just found out? What? They're a Christian. And it should be the other person be like, oh, you're so lucky. I hate you. You always get the best people. You got to create. They're the best people ever. They have integrity. They work hard. They fit in well with the team. They are other focused. They're not so focused around themselves. Like, man, that's not fair. You always get the Christians. That's the way it should be, right? And, and especially right now is an opportunity to really stand out because work life is not at the best place it's ever been. Right? We know that. You probably feel that at your workplace. Like they just did this. We've looked at a lot of studies in this series. Just last week, the Pew organization did a huge study, 16,000, about almost 16,000 workers. And I don't remember the exact number, but it was like 60 something percent. So they were totally demotivated at work. It's never been like that. Like it's just people are just demotivated at work. So much so that the great resignation, people quitting, now there's a whole new phrase and a whole new thing that people are doing. Instead of quitting their job, now the new thing is to quiet quit. And to quiet quit just means I'm going to keep my job so I get my paycheck. I'm just not going to do the bare minimum to keep my job, but I'm not going to give my life to this company anymore. I'm not, they don't care about me. I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to do the bare minimum I can and just skate by and just enough to keep the paycheck coming in. And that's quiet quitting. It's never been a phrase before until this year. It's a new thing. But for a Christian, it's a bad thing. It's kind of like a couple of weeks ago when we talked about leadership. And Jesus talked about leaders who in the world think they're big shots and treat other people like little shots. And that everybody's there to serve you as a leader. And Jesus says to his leaders, he says, not so with you. Same way with quiet quitting. As believers, not so with you. It's not an option for us because we work for the Lord. We're called to, to a higher standard and a higher purpose. And, and therefore, a whole opportunity to stick out in a world of unmotivated people. Now, that's the quality of our work. Let's talk about the quality of our life. He says that your daily lives may win the respect of outsiders. That our lives will either cause people to be open, to respect us, to want to hear what we have to say, or the opposite. And we all know that, right? That people will, in a lot of ways, think about Jesus the way they think about people who claim him. Um, we did in this series, our social media team, to have fun, uh, did some things over the last few weeks, if you were here, 
where they put out some social media polls about our campus pastors and ask questions related to work, like what was your first job, what's your dream job, so on. And they did that with me as well a couple weeks ago. And there was a social media poll that went out about that. My first job was a, a talking, I was the talking Christmas tree at a mall in Huntsville, Alabama. That was a fun job. Big tree with big lips and you went like this. Um, I loved it. Um, and then uh, and in my dream job. Now, now, the deal is you can't say like your job now. It's, if you didn't do what you're doing now, what would your dream job be? This really is my dream job. Not just being a pastor, but pastor of Chase Oaks Church. Like it's, there's nowhere else I want to be. Um, this is, uh, I love you. And I love this place. And I, I came here disillusioned with church years ago. And if you knew my story, you'd be like, yeah, I get why you love this place. So I, you know, this is my dream job. But if it wasn't this, like if you're just getting unrealistic and dreamy, what would it be? And there were different options that were out on the poll. But the answer is a professional skier. And not a racer, but like a free skier. Now, it's totally unrealistic because I'm not good and I'm old. But still, it would be cool if I could do, it could be fun to do. If people paid me to go all the way around the world and ski the best destinations and the best lines in the world, that would be amazing. And, uh, and, and to be sponsored athlete, like, like, and I kind of am. So my brother-in-law is a sales rep for Solomon Skis. So I've got a great hookup there. I want him to be happy in his job so he doesn't leave it. Uh, and, uh, and so with, uh, and that means I, I get, you know, we get great deals on that. And, um, and so I have multiple pairs of skis for different kinds of conditions. It's kind of ridiculous, but I've got the hookup, right? But what I'd really like to be is not just have a hookup with a sales rep. I'd love to be a sponsored, like a brand ambassador for Solomon. What are their professional athletes? So that people be like, man, what does Jeff Jones ski? He skis Solomon. Wow, that's amazing. Now, nobody would do that. Because, again, I'm not good and I'm old. But it's a dream, right, to be a brand ambassador. But here's the thing. I am a brand ambassador. Just not for Solomon. And you are, too, if you're a Jesus follower. Whether you know it or not, as a Jesus follower, you are a brand ambassador for Christianity. You're a brand ambassador for Jesus. And when people find out that you're a Christian, how they see you will determine in large part, right, how they see Jesus. And therefore, it is so important that we're intentional about it, to be the most loving people on the planet. If you're a business owner, to be, have the most integrity in your company, to treat your employees incredibly well. If you're in the work environment to be, uh, you know, to, to do your work well, as we've talked about, but also just live your life like the fruit of the spirit is, is a great little test to see, am I growing in the fruit of the spirit? So in Galatians six, it talks about the fruit of the spirit, which is, hey, as a Christian, if we really have God in our life, that's Holy Spirit and he's transforming us. Well, we should see change, right? We should like, how would you know if you're growing or not? And it's not knowing more stuff. That's not. That's great to know more stuff, but that's not the point. The point is to have a transformed life. So how, what, what would that even look like? Well, the fruit of the Spirit gives us a guide, and here it is. We should be growing in these qualities. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. So people should see us increasingly becoming loving, faithful, responsible, self-control, patient, kind, right? So much so that it sticks out. It's like, man, what? Like, wow, you know, you're different. And it doesn't mean we have to be perfect. 
But it does mean that we should be authentically growing. And when we're not perfect, to take responsibility for it. To just say, you know what? I was unkind in that conversation. I got frustrated. And honestly, I should be frustrated. That was a frustrating thing. However, I allowed that to make me unkind. And I'm sorry. Or be like, hey, look, I, you know, maybe come impatient in a meeting to say, look, I am really sorry. I do not want to be, I, I, I lost my patience and that's not, that's not cool. It's not respectful to you. It's not the kind of person I want to be. And I'm sorry. That'll go a long way, right, to build trust and create a sense of pull like, hey, something's different about you. So we relate in a way to the quality of our work and the quality of our lives that creates a sense of pull. Now, when we do that, something very important happens. Like he said, people respect. People want to hear what we have to say. And that's going to get us to our next passage in 1 Peter 3, where Peter, this time, is talking to Christians in Rome, like the city of Rome and the suburbs of Rome, which at the time was the least Christian place on the planet. So you've got this little group of Christians trying to reach people for Jesus in this city. And he tells them, in, in wherever God has placed them around those who don't know Jesus, here's, here's what to do. 1 Peter 3.15 Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. Again, we're a brand ambassador. He says, operate in such a way and relate in such a way with humility and respect. Represent Jesus so well that when people realize they've talked badly about Christians before they knew you and before they maybe even knew a Christian, they're like, oh man, I'm embarrassed I ever said that. Christians are incredible. Like that's what they should experience. And if we're living that way, something will happen. And that is people will ask you. People, you'll create a sense of pull. People will, it'll open up spiritual conversations. It'll open up opportunities. That's why he says, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks Again, that's pull. They actually want to hear. We're not talking to people who don't want to hear. And they're going, nah, bah, bah. We're, they, they want to hear what we have to say because of respect and so on. And so let's talk about that. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks for the hope you have. Let's talk about what that looks like. So hope. Why does he pick on that? Hope is a very powerful thing. If you've ever been hopeless, you know that. Hope is what motivates us. Hope is what drives us, especially when things get difficult, like at work, like we're experiencing right now. And if you think about what we're experiencing right now, where most workers would say, I have no hope in my job. I don't have any oomph in my job. I'm not motivated in my job. Well, if all if your hope is just based in this life and, and your hope is just based in my company and how well they're going to treat me and my hope in my thoughts about my future career, if that's what your hopes are in then I can understand why they might get dim when things get difficult. But for Christians, our hope is not in that. Our hope is way above that. Our hope is in God, who is our ultimate boss. We work for him. Uh, as we said in Colossians, it says, even if, even if we don't get credit, even if our boss doesn't, uh, or our company doesn't treat us right or whatever, God will see that and he will reward us for all eternity. So we have ultimate hope. And therefore, at work, we should be, the most joyful, even in a bad environment, the most joyful people there, because 
We don't work for them. We work for God. And we're there to represent him and to make this world better by what we do. And, and when we are operate that way, we should be prepared to have conversations like, Hey, look, why are you so joyful? Because this place stinks. Like, this is hard. Why, why do you have so much energy for like... And you can just say, well, you know what? Um, my hope is not in circumstances. It's kind of above circumstances. And our relationship with God, I believe he placed me here to be part of what he's doing in this world to make it better. And I'm just happy he placed me here. I just want to be faithful here. It's a great answer, right? Or maybe somebody says, hey, why? Like, how can you treat customers like, like that guy was really rude. Like, how can you treat people with such kindness who are so grumpy? And you can say, well, you know, I, 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 because of my faith, I, I believe God has made everybody in his image. And everybody is worthy of respect, even grumpy people. And God has shown so much grace to me that when I meet people who are at their worst, I just want to extend the same grace to them. Because we're catching them in a bad moment, at a frustrated moment. And they're probably really hurting. And it's an opportunity to treat somebody with respect that's struggling, that's frustrated. And I think that's a pretty cool opportunity. Like, it's a totally different like, thing. Or like you, you could imagine, right? Different conversations about, man, why are, like, why, why are you so devoted to this place? Like they're not devoted to you. And to say, well, I don't work for them. I work for God. And he's placed me here. Another aspect of hope is when we encounter tragedy, when we encounter difficulties in life. And everybody will. And, and, when, and when people see you as a Christian, realizing that our hope is not in circumstances, our hope is the God who's above the circumstances, that really is different. Can you imagine going through the trials of this world without God? And that's most people around us. And so when we're able to go through trials with God's presence and strength, well, that's going to stick out. And so if people, you know, people come to you and say, man, how can you be so strong? I mean, your wife has cancer. Or you've just lost a loved one. Like, how can you be so strong? And be able to say, I'm not strong. On my own, I'd just be a basket case. I'd quit. But I'm not on my own. I have a relationship with God and he's in my life and he's he's strong for me and he's strengthening me and he's with me. And I believe he's even using this for his good. And I'm grieving and I'm hurting and I'm scared, but I'm holding on to him. And that's the only reason I'm strong. Right. You can just imagine, right, all the conversations that open up. And and when you have those kind of conversations. They're going to open up even more opportunity to have deeper conversations than that. About the reason for the hope that you have. Like, what do you mean about relationship with God? What does that even look like? What does that even mean? And we'll have opportunity to say, well, okay, let's talk about that. Right? To, uh, um, and, and we should be ready. That's what he says. Always be prepared. Like, like, be ready. Don't freak out. Oh, no, we're having a spiritual conversation. What if I get it wrong or whatever? Just be, be prepared. And there's several ways to do that. Because so, I know this is, it's not always easy. It's a little scary to have these kind of conversations. So there's a couple things um, one, to think about. One is, if you're freaked out to have spiritual conversations because you're afraid people are going to ask things that you don't know, you know the best way to handle that is to say, I don't know. 
That's a great question. Let's find out together. That's great. But then be prepared to share. You, and there's different ways to do that. One way is uh, we see it in the New Testament is what I would call come and see. It's an invitation to say, hey, just come along and see. Uh, the disciples were that way. So Philip was one of the 12 disciples. He was invited to be a disciple of Jesus. He has a friend named Nathaniel who he wants to meet Jesus. And, he invi- and, and they were having this conversation about Jesus. And Nathaniel's like, yeah, that guy's from the middle of nowhere. He's from like Alabama or somewhere. I don't even know where he's from. And, you know, nothing good comes from there. And, and uh, I don't, he can't be the Messiah. He can't be the, you know, one sent from God. And it's interesting because Philip doesn't argue. He doesn't try to counterpoint. He doesn't try to explain anything. He just says, you know what? Good question. Bring it with you. Just come and see. Just come and meet Jesus. Just bump into him and just and see. You can take it or leave it, but just come and see. And Nathaniel does. And Jesus interacts with Nathaniel. He becomes one of the 12 disciples because of the power of invitation. Most of us are here because somebody invited us here. And we're a church designed to be helpful in that. Like we're a church because it's Jesus's church. I believe it's biblical to be this kind of church. But we're a church who is built not just for Christians, but for those who don't know Jesus. And to be a place where we can invite people who are in that process of trying to figure out, is this whole God, Bible, Jesus thing a good thing or not? Or is it real or not? And to bring their questions and their doubts, because they're good questions and they're good doubts, and bring them with you. And if you're in that mode, we're so glad you're here. And you don't have to hide that. Like it's, we're all, we're all on a journey. We're all in a process. But this is designed to be a place where we can bring our non-Christian friends without thinking, wishing we didn't. Have you ever been in an environment where you invite them and you're like, ugh. Ooh, and we never want that. And if you ever find that here, then I want to know about it. You know, let me know. Um, because we want to be an environment that, that helps people. Um, like in the New Testament, they have this big meeting. And the, and the bottom line in the meeting about reaching Gentiles, people who don't know Jesus, is we've decided that it's probably a good idea not to make it hard for Gentiles who are turning to Jesus. They had to have a whole meeting to come up with that. But... They did, and that's what we want to do. So you can invite people. Everything we do at Chase Oaks is invitable. Whether it's your group, whether it's serving like this next week, or whether it's coming to church, to think about the power of invitation. Also to be able to share about Jesus yourself and what Jesus did. And the best, I think the best way to do that is to share your story. Because Christianity is not just a list of beliefs. It's not a religion. And so we don't have to go, well, my beliefs are smart and yours are stupid. Let me tell you why. That doesn't generally work very well. But if you could share, because in Christianity is not even that. Yes, there are things we believe. But that's, Christianity is not really primarily a religion. It's not a, a list of beliefs. Christianity is a relationship with the living God because Jesus is not dead. He's alive. And, um, and therefore, it's a relationship with Jesus. And we follow him. And so for you, for, I think the best way to share our faith is to share it like our story. Hey, this is how I came to know Jesus. This is what was going on before. This is how, and this is what God's doing in my life. And that, and I know that can be a little scary. Well, how do I do that? And if, what if I say the wrong thing? And so we have a training or an opportunity to come up, um, coming up this fall. It's a Chase Oaks Roadshow. There'll be one coming to your campus, uh, sometime this fall. It, I think they're three weeks long. They're on Sunday morning. Like you go to church and then you go to, it's like a class you go. And, um, and a facilitated thing. And one of those is on how to share your story in a way that's helpful to other people. 
And so when you see that coming, make sure you go. Um, just so that we can be prepared to share the reason for the hope that we have and, and help somebody come to know Jesus. And here's the cool thing about it is we're not on our own. Like one time Jesus took his disciples and they were in this place where the disciples thought nothing spiritual ever happened. Long story, but it was in this place called Samaria, which they thought God didn't even care about. Of course, God cared about. And so Jesus is there and he says, I want you to look out at the fields. Now, this happened to be in harvest time. And he wasn't talking about wheat. He was talking about people. And he was saying the, the fields are white unto harvest, meaning what, he, what he's saying is, is God is the one who creates spiritual thirst. We don't have to create spiritual thirst for people. We, we don't have to pull people toward God. We create a sense of pull and uh, uh, in, in interest in our life to build respect because we're part of the process of God pulling people toward him in a deeper way. And God's doing that everywhere all around us, in your neighborhood, in your school, at your workplace, among your friends and wherever you are. God is at work pulling, like drawing people to himself. We get to be part of the process if we're willing to go into the harvest fields. That's what he says. He says, pray for more workers. God is creating the thirst. God is creating harvest. He just invites us to be, and we get to be, part of reaping the harvest. Meaning of helping people spiritually, praying for them, uh, sharing our story, inviting them. And, and we get to be part of God's bigger work. So we're not on our own. So we don't have to freak out too much. Because even if we get half of it wrong, God is at work. He's more than capable of making up for our little snafus that we have. And therefore, we don't have to get overly worked up about it. And we can be part of, of being a witness is one thing the Bible calls it, or being a light in an otherwise dark place and helping people spiritually. And again, wouldn't it be cool to be able to look back at the end of our lives and think, man, there's like 10 people that I'm going to be in heaven with. And I got to be part of that. I mean, I don't think it gets much better than that. And so I want us to go back to work this week or school this week or wherever you go this week, neighborhood this week, with a whole new sense of intentionality. Say, man, I, I want to create pull toward Jesus by the quality of my work, by the quality of my life. And then I, God help me be ready. And as you open up the opportunity for spiritual conversation, just help me to do that well. And with, like he said, with gentleness and respect and sensitivity and humility and, and be helpful in people's spiritual lives. God will always help us do what he commands us to do. And so I want us to go in prayer before him right now to ask him to do that. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this whole series and how you have created work in us to be workers to be part of the original mandate to make life flourish on this planet. And I thank you for everybody in this place who works and for the, just what they do to make our world better. And, and I pray that you send us back to work this week with a whole new sense of purpose. And part of that purpose to represent you. And God, I pray that you'd help us to be the kind of brand ambassadors that you call us to be. To, so that others who are outside the faith respect us and approach us. Just help us to be light in an otherwise dark place. And we need you to do that. We know that you're the one working in people's lives all around us. Just, just empower us to do our part. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.